You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Uh, good morning. My name is Chuy Rodriguez, uh, Jesus Rodriguez as well. Uh, for I'm not going to explain it again. Um, <laughs> And uh, I am the interim pastor here at New City uh, Fellowship, and I am so glad to, to have you with us this morning. And uh, we are back on our series in the book of Ephesians, so if you have a Bible, please open it up. We're going to be spending some time at the end of the first chapter in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And... Um, we took a little, bit, a little bit of a break for two weeks, and we're back in this. And before I uh, start, let me go ahead and pray and um, ask God for his help. Dear Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, I, we come before you. We pray that today, through the exposition of your word, you would speak to us, that you would... Um, Make us more like you, sanctify us, purify us. I pray that your word would challenge us and um, confront us, but I also pray that simultaneously it would also bring hope and comfort um, so that we will know who you are and that we would be willing to obey your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that our church, all of us would be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word, by the power of your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we've been talking about the letter uh, of, of the church in Ephesus written by Paul, and briefly, this was uh, or is one of the most significant letters that we have in uh, the New Testament. Uh, Scholars actually believe that the, the, the letter to the Ephesians was actually sort of like a masterpiece of uh, theological depth, uh, along with books like Hebrews or Romans. Uh, not that the other ones are not, but there's some significance to the letter of the, the, the church in Ephesus. And this is a very dear church for um, Paul. Uh, and in fact, one of Paul's proteges was actually a placed as the, the pastor of this church, which is Timothy, and it had some really good preaching and teaching. It was established in uh, the second visit or the second trip uh, by, by Paul, the missionary trip by Paul. He, he actually stopped by it quickly on, on his way out of his first trip, but then he came back to that, and, and it, it was a significant church for him. And if you want to read about how the church came about, you can, you can refer to Acts 18, 19, and 20, and you'll see how the church came, came to be. So this is a very important letter for us today as, as, as a church. The letter to the Ephesians is written to a church that is not necessarily a bad church or a church that's in conflict or, or dealing with a lot of difficulties in some, ses, in some sense compared to letters like the one to the, to the Corinthian church. But we have some really important exhortations that we need to take um, seriously as part of the church. 
In the previous two weeks, when we were uh, reading the first chapter of Ephesians, we talked about some difficult topics that come with the concept of salvation. We started by diving into predestination and how God chooses us and, and how the Trinity gets involved in our salvation and what part they play in our salvation. And I mentioned that this is uh, the, the term that's called the economical Trinity, the function of each of the members of the Trinity, how the Father sort of plans and chooses and predestines, and then how the Son uh, executes our salvation and gives gives us redemption and adoption and forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross. And then at the end, we see the Holy Spirit being sent out to seal us, to guarantee our inheritance. He is the one who sanctifies us, the one who, who makes sure that we get to our inheritance. And then we, we see that Paul transitions from this assertion of this is all the blessings that you have. In fact, Paul calls, calls this spiritual blessings in heavenly places, all the blessings that you have. And then he prays for the church in Ephesus. And that's where we're going to sort of take some time today and see what is it that Paul prays for the church and why is it that he prays for the church as we continue in this uh, letter. So with that, let's go ahead and read uh, our, our text today. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might." that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. So let's begin and see. Where I'm going to be touching on a few things before I focus on the main point that comes towards the end. And the first thing that we see is that Paul basically links the first part of the theological um, discourse about uh, salvation uh, and this prayer by saying, for this reason. So what he's saying is, because of the great salvation that we have been given, because we have been predestined, sanctified, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, given an inheritance, because of all these things, I want to pray for you. And then Paul, Paul adds something else in that first verse 15. He says, for this reason... And because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Paul has two reasons why he's going to pray for the church. And he gives us these reasons. The first one is because we have been saved, elected, and all those things. And then the second one is because he has heard of the faith and the love of the saints that they have as a church. Paul adds the fact that the Ephesian church 
demonstrated love for God and love for people. So they, they were saved by the grace of God, explained in the first verses, and then he prays for them because of that, but he also adds, and I know that you have the reputation of being people who have faith in God or love for God and also love towards others. And in fact, this is significant because if you remember Revelation chapter 2, uh, there's uh, letters to different churches. And if you remember, what the angel said to the, to the church in Ephesus is precisely these two things. The letter to the church in Ephesus or the admonition to the church in Ephesus in Revelation is that they abandoned their first love. Remember that? Because they, they were known by their love for God. And then they, he calls them to repent and to go back to the works they used to do. So they were a church that, that were known for their love for God and their love for others shown in works. And this is important. We can see that everything that Paul just talked about is not only related to spiritual things. The salvation that we have always has a repercussion on our daily lives and how we live around others and how we love others. And this is something that uh, Paul is going to constantly mention throughout the New Testament that our salvation is not individual. Our salvation has to do with others. So in a sense, Paul is saying, I am going to pray for you because I know you understand this salvation and you have faith and the love that comes after that faith. So let me go ahead and pray for you. That's what's happening here. And we'll see that Paul develops this a little more later on. Salvation produces faith in God and love for others. And Paul goes on to say, I do not cease, in verse 16, to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Just as a small parenthesis here, something we can also learn from this uh, small section is that we, this is a constant activity that we see Paul doing in the New Testament. Paul prays for the people of the church. This is something that we see in every letter. Paul is praying for them. Paul is interceding for them. Paul wants to go see them. Paul, Paul is not only just preaching to them or teaching to them. He's constantly praying for them. And this is important because today we have created this mentality that Christian leaders are CEOs or are leaders of enterprises that are supposed to cast a vision and move the institution forward. And we're forgetting that the primary goal for a Christian leader or a pastor is to care for the church. This is something that we see Paul do constantly. Our job is to love, to care, to pray, and to guard the flock. And this is mostly an exhortation to me. And this is something I have to constantly fight as a pastor. And if you're someone who aspires to, of, of leadership, and if you are a Christian leader in any sense, sometimes we spend more time thinking of processes and, and the institution and what we need to accomplish and what are the better strategies or the best strategies to do it. But we seldomly believe or think or act on the fact that we mostly need to care for the people that's in that area. Peruvian theologian and missiologist Samuel Escobar says, the bearer of the message of Christ is no cold communicator of intellectual ideas, but someone who really comes to care for the people with whom he shares the gospel and teaching. 
For this style of caring, there is a Christological model because it is the kind of care that was incarnated in Jesus himself during his earthly ministry. Jesus himself prayed for his people and for himself as well and for his ministry. So just a quick emphasis that our job as Christians is not only to move the institution forward or to grow the church or be effective in what we do. Our jobs as Christian leaders is to pray and care for the people that God has entrusted to us. All right, now we have that out of the way, and now we're going to dive into the prayer. What is it that Paul is praying for this church about? Verse 17 says that he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is that? The Father of glory, may give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A quick translation is, I pray that the Father will give you the Spirit so that you will get to know him better. Paul is asking the Father that he gives them the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know the Father better. There are several positions about this, whether this is a spirit uh, as in, sometimes the Bible uses the word spirit as in, as, as in an attitude, you know, like, do you feel like there's a sad spirit right now? Do you get that? It's like, that's sometimes how the, the Bible uses the word spirit, not necessarily as in the Holy Spirit, but there's some controversy about whether this is the spirit of wisdom and knowledge or revelation as in our position or attitude towards what God wants us to do, or if it's in fact the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say this is because I just want to be true to what several interpretations of the Bible, um, uh, or people come to several interpretations of the Bible. But my position is that it's more cons- consistent with the general scripture that this is actually the Holy Spirit. In fact, in, in Isaiah 11, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is basically described exactly how Paul describes it here. Isaiah verse 11, uh, 11 verse 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is actually talking about the Holy Spirit, and it looks exactly how Paul is mentioning it. We also have mentions of the, of, of the Holy Spirit doing precisely these things, revealing the word of God and bringing us wisdom. For instance, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, saying, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The reason why I mention this is because I want to propose to us that whatever Paul is going to pray for the church, and in this case us, requires the intervention of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we need to be in a posture of understanding or that we should uh, desire revelation. Rather than whatever Paul is going to pray has a condition, needs something or someone, and that is the Holy Spirit. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit reveals and gives us wisdom, and he later on says, brings light to the eyes of our heart. Verse 18 says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, and he has a purpose. And what is it that he wants us to understand? What's the wisdom uh, that we need for? What is this revelation that he is praying so that we can receive it? What is that? The, the revelation, in the last part of verse 18, says that you may know three things. 
What is the hope of our calling? What are the riches of our inheritance? And what is the greatness of his power? Those are the three things that Paul is asking for us to know about knowing the Father. Again, the hope of our calling in verse 18, the riches of our inheritance in verse 18 as well, and the greatness of his power in verse 19. So let's, let's walk through some of those things that Paul wants us to do or know. The purpose of Paul's prayer in these three things is that first, we need to understand the hope of our calling. Just pause. Again, none of the things I'm going to say is a call for us to grab a book and learn more about this. Paul is praying for the church and he's asking God to give them the Holy Spirit so that they can understand these things. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We need the light of the Holy Spirit to shine upon the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand the hope of our calling. Number one, what does this mean? What does this mean that we need to understand the hope of our calling? Basically, the idea here is the hope that is that the hope that comes through our calling. Our calling as Christians is not only heaven. So when you hear that our calling, it's not just what's going to happen later. In fact, that's number two, the riches of our inheritance. But the first one that Paul wants us to understand is the hope of our calling means the hope that comes with what we're supposed to do. And what we're supposed to do is share this gospel that he just explained to us with others. The hope of our calling is the hope that you and I carry with us every time we fulfill or enact or walk in our calling, which is to proclaim the good news of the gospel around us. So the first thing that Paul is praying so that the Ephesians will understand is that they will understand the hope that, that lives within them in their calling in sharing the gospel with the people around them. So, in short, we need the Holy Spirit to understand the hope that our calling to preach the gospel bring to people. The, the message that we have within our calling is a message of good news that brings hope to everyone. And then we'll, this will make sense a little more as we progress. The second thing that he asks is that we will understand the riches of our inheritance. Verse 18 says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We need the Holy Spirit to understand the riches of our inheritance. The second thing that Paul is praying is that we will understand not only our calling and the hope that brings our, with our calling, but also the end goal of our calling. That is the inheritance. What is this inheritance? He talked about it before is our final destination. The fact that we're going to have a new house, a new earth, a new body, a new heaven, everything new, perfect, forever, and amazing with him, with us, forever. This is our inheritance. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints 
is eternity with the Father. And this is something we need to understand. And up to this point, I don't know if you've realized, it's not easy for us to remember these things. And that's why Paul constantly prays for the church. We go about our life as if none of this is even true. We constantly forget this. It's not that we don't know them. If somebody would ask you, you would respond and say, if you've been a Christian long enough, you would affirm those things and be like, yeah, that's true. But the fact is, we don't constantly think of these things. And Paul is praying, we need the help of someone else that will remind us these things. You have a calling that has hope for people around you. And you also need to understand that the hope and the, the, the inheritance that that hope brings is amazing. And it's for you as well as for the other people that you will bring in. But then Paul makes a last request. And this is where we're going to spend more time. The last request begins in verse 19. And he says, And what is... The, and listen to the wording in this, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Let me repeat that. Immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. We need the Holy Spirit to understand our calling. We need the Holy Spirit to understand our inheritance but we also need the Holy Spirit to understand the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. I want to camp up here for a little bit. The first two requests are sort of just mentioned. There's no development of those requests. But if we continue reading, we're, we'll realize that Paul develops this last request about the power of God a little bit more. And before I do that, I just want you to understand that Paul prays for the Ephesian church and he's saying, God, please send your Holy Spirit and help my people or help your people understand that they have an amazing calling that brings hope to people that they will one day go to this rich inheritance, but, but at the end, please help them understand that I've already given them the immeasurable great power that rose Jesus from the dead. This is not just any power. This is not just like a superhero power or any power that you've seen in any Marvel movies. And the thing is, Paul is not even using hyperbole or exaggeration to actually name or describe God's power because the, the power of God is truly immeasurable and great. And before he describes it, I just want to give you two glimpses of how the, uh, the Old Testament describes God's power. Jeremiah says in, in chapter 32, Oh Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. David says in Psalm 147, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is the description of this power. 
that Paul is saying that God has given to us or that he has for us or toward us. The description, depending on the translation you use, could be for us or to us. And the reality is that this immeasurable great power is for us, to us, and towards us who believe. The saints, the Christian. Meaning that this is a power that we can rely on, and this is a power we can count on, and this is a power that we can even access. And this is God's power. And then, who is the one doing this? Who is the one working? Is it our responsibility to work this power? No. Paul says in verse 19, according to the working of his great might. God has given us his power. This power is for us, towards us. And he is the one working the power. It is not ours. This is not something we can manipulate. This is not something we can decrease or increase. This is God's power that is available to us. Then Paul begins to describe this kind of, this kind of power. And it's almost like he's trying to tell us, just so you'll know, look at all the things that this power has done. The one that's for you, the one that works for you, that's towards you, the saints, look at this. Check this out. It's, this is how God speaks usually. <laughs> he says in verse 20, this is the power that worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead. So this is the power that made the Son of God come back from the dead. And this is not the first time that Paul says the same thing he said in Romans 8, verse 11. He says, this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Again, this, 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 this uh, reference to the spirit giving us the power. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it doesn't only work towards us, it's also in us. So the same power that we have access to through the Holy Spirit is in you, it's working towards you, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Just think about that. What else did this power do? Oh, it also seated Jesus at the right hand of, the, of God in heavenly places. Oh, that's, well, uh, maybe. Well, but it also placed Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He is the top of the top. That's the kind of power that we have at our disposal in God through the Holy Spirit. What else? Oh, and it also placed him above every name that is named, not only in the present age, but in the ones to come forever. And if that doesn't convince us, he closes by saying, he put all things under his feet. So he is above everything and every one. 
And it's important to make a distinction. In verse 21, when he's talking about rulers and authorities and powers and dominion, that includes even heavenly things or uh, angels or principalities or any kind of power. And then he closes by saying, and even the ones on earth, all things. There is nothing that's outside of the dominion or the sovereignty of God. There's nothing that's below, above, on the sides. There's nothing that he is not uh, in control of. But this is the biggest and best news. That this power is at work in us today, right now. And I want to confess that this sermon, as I was preparing it, was for me and is for me. Because I forget this every day. Every single day. I'm going to speak for myself. Because I have not learned and understood that this power is at work in me every day. I still get anxious. I get angry because I can't control things. I get angry because I don't see the results I want to see. I am constantly sad and frustrated because I try and try and fail and fail. Because my tiny little mind that believes that I'm going to come up with the best solution to change myself cannot. And it's been 43 years of this. And I still can't wrap my head around the fact that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within me. And my decisions and my trying continues to leave me angry, frustrated, and anxious. And the worst part is that, in the words of the Proverbs, like a dog that returns to his vomit, I am a fool who returns to my folly daily. This is a human tendency. We truly believe that we have the answers. And maybe I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to be sexist, but I feel like, man, we struggle with this so much. At least that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> I might be the only one. Any amens, women? <laughs> we have the power of God at work within us every day. We do. I'm not reading a fantasy book. And if you believe this is a fantasy book, let me talk to you at the end. But this is not a fantasy book. If you are someone who has said, I have given my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and you believe that there is a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, and you believe that He will give you eternal life, then this is true for you and I. We have the power of God working toward us. And we don't get a hold of it. We live our lives trying in our strength. I spend countless hours in silence, lost 
thinking of how am I going to do this? What am I going to tell this person so that this could happen? I spend most of my time doing that and it doesn't work. Instead of running back to the power and the spirit and kneeling down and saying, I need your power, I don't do it. So I don't know where you are right now, but this is a calling to all of us. We're not alone. We're not left to our own devices. He is with us. He saved us. He chose us. He elected us. He has forgiven us. He has adopted us. He has do, he's doing everything. He sent the Holy Spirit to guarantee that we get to heaven. He is working in us. With what power? With the greatest power that made everything. And then in verse 22, Paul says what the purpose of this power is or what the purpose of his prayer is. Why does Paul praise that we will understand our calling, understand our inheritance, and understand that God is a power within us? Why? Because God gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This last reference is confusing, and I understand. But the basic understanding of this is that, and this power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the one that is over everything, he, Jesus, has been given to you, to the church. And you are now his body. You are part of that power. You are part of that person. You are the body of Christ. He is your head, and he is the fullness through the church who fills everything, all in all. We have been given that responsibility. The reason why Paul is praying for the Ephesian churches so that they can actually accomplish what they're supposed to accomplish, so that they can actually be the church that they need to be. That power is in our head, and we are the body. We are all part of that organism that moves and works with us to accomplish our mission, to take people to our inheritance, to display this power. We are to enact the power of God in this world. We are the body of Jesus Christ. He is our head. We do as he says he provides the mission. He provides the purpose. He provides the power. This is who we are. And I understand that the, this, this last phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all, is confusing. But just to give you an idea, some of the language that the scholars use to, to explain this is that uh, the church is a full manifestation of his being. Or that the church is, is a continued revelation of his divine life in human form. Other people say that uh, the church is the fullest representative of his plenitude. Or that the, the church is a manifest sign of God's mission. But the point of it all is that Paul is saying you have the power because you are representing Jesus and you are the one that's supposed to spread this out. Pedro Arana Quiroz, a Peruvian theologian, says, The body is the means of communicating with the world around. 
to reveal the will of God on the earth. Christ took on a body. Let me say that again. To reveal the will of God on earth, Christ took on a body. To say that we are the body of Christ implies that the church is the place where the will of God is revealed, where the life of Christ is manifested in words and actions, and where the presence and mighty works of the Spirit are to be seen. The image of the body of Christ means that the church has to bring the voice of Christ, His healing hands, His steadfast feet, and also His character marked by love. Christ has chosen to work through the church and has entrusted to it, to it the message, the power, and the style of mission that He received from the Father. This is our responsibility. And Paul is praying that we will understand this. And I go back to the beginning. Nothing that I'm telling you is to pressure you into doing it. That's not what Paul is saying. If you go back, he's not saying, Ephesians, understand this. No, he's not saying that. He's praying for them. And we should do the same. We should do the same to access the power that God has given to us. We need a supernatural intervention. This is not about our wit, about our education. This is not about how many years you've been a Christian. This is about you wanting to depend on God and actively going to seek Him and praying and utilizing what God has given to us. I'd like to remind us that we have a mission, a calling as Christians. And our calling as a church, whether we have a pastor or not, whether we are in a transition or not, whether there's 20 of us or 100 of us, we have a mission. And that is to bring salvation to the people around us so that they can also inherit the kingdom of God with us. And this is through the church and God is doing it through the church. He has given us that mission. And I want to end by exhorting us. I know this is hard. And I know this is difficult. I know it's hard to get up in the morning on Sunday mornings and, and rail your family and bring everyone and get everyone ready and get coffee. And they, it's just, I know that. I have four kids. It's always a pain. And I know it's hard sometimes to make it to community group or serve on Sunday and maybe somebody canceled and they're calling. I know that all of this is hard, but this is our job, family. This is our calling. This is what we are called to do. We are supposed to be the people that actively work in the power of the Spirit to reach others. I'm not saying that serving in church is exactly doing this, but it's part of it. We're a body. If you want a better example, go read 1 Corinthians 12 and you'll see you. some of us are fingers, some of, our, some of us are eyes, some of us are hair, some of us are other things. I don't know. You choose where you want to be. But the point is, whatever God has given to you, use it for the, for the, for the body. We need your help. We need your help. If you have a finger that never does anything, what's going to happen to that finger? We need your help. 
and we need your help because we have a mission. You're not working for Chewy. You're not working for New City Network. No, you're working for God. Every time you serve someone in church or outside of a church, you're serving Jesus himself. And again, this is why it's so important. Paul is saying loving God and loving people go hand in hand. You cannot say that you're a believer if you don't serve others. It's not possible. And all of this we need to do in his power. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. The reality is that even though we might be dealing with a bunch of things, this city needs us today. Whether we're here next year or not, this city needs the power of the gospel at work in this church right now. We need to be serving and and representing Jesus not only in church but outside of a church. Always, as long as you're living, as long as you have breath, you have a mission. And we're not to depend on our abilities or our strength, but in the power that raised Jesus from the dead that's available to us. We have been saved by grace And we have to now share this gift with others. Look at everything that God has done for you. He came to us. He lived the perfect life that you and I needed to live. He lived a very uncomfortable life for our sake. He came and fed us. He came and gave us food. He came and cleansed us and healed us. He walked among us. And ultimately, he took our sin and died on a cross and was beaten and crucified and treated like a criminal in our place for our sin. And through his blood, by grace, not by what we did, he has given us now forgiveness of sin and eternal life for free. And then he died And he was buried and then he raised from the dead on the third day. And he defeated Satan and he defeated death. And our sins are still there. We are free. When Jesus looks at you, when the Father looks at you, he sees a blameless person. A perfect person. Not because you are perfect, but because Jesus is perfect. We are reaping the benefits of somebody else's work. And that's Jesus' work. And that is our faith. And that is our message. And that is also our responsibility. To do the same with others. And if you're not a believer, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, I want to tell you, this power that I just talked about is available to you. If you're angry and frustrated or exhausted and anxious about your life and you keep trying to redeem yourself and better yourself, stop trying. Let me save you some time. Stop trying. You're not going to make it. There's someone who wants to and can help you. And it's Jesus. And all you have to do 
It's repent. Repent is saying, I can't do it on my own. I'm sorry for trying so long. I keep messing up and messing up. And you know what? You wouldn't be the first one to repent. We still repent every day as Christians. That's our job. But if you repent and turn to Jesus, his arms are wide open to you. He wants to help you. He wants you to experience this power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to help you in every way he can. This power is available to you for free by grace. Not about what you do, but because of what he did on the cross. So church, let's seek the power of God. Let's stop trying on our own. Christianity is not about us. Christianity is not about how I better my life. Christianity is about doing everything for the one who did everything for me. And we don't even have to do it on our our own strength. Let's pray together.